Welcome to the Paradigm Shift, broadcasting on Brisbane's 4ZZZ FM 102.1 on Fridays at noon. We look at and challenge our society's current concepts, values, assumptions and practices. We show possible and existing alternative ways of being and doing. We are informed by the urgent need for social justice in our world. Workers of all countries unite. for the First Nations people. This is going on the Nami. Welcome. That was a very well-known uh, Aboriginal singer, uh, DK Kinesella. He was talking about welcoming refugees into this country. Today we're going to be talking about Saving the Forests. It's part two. Um, and it's a continuation of a show that we had a couple of weeks ago with Miranda Gibson, who climbed up a big tree in Tasmania and stopped logging of the old-growth forests. And together in the conversation today we have um, Simon. Could you introduce yourself? Hi, hello. You have yeah. to say who you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, my name's yeah, Simon Birrell. I'm, um, I was involved in the campaign uh, down in Victoria, uh, the Otways, Great Ocean uh, Road sort of area. People in Queensland know where that is. But, um, yeah, we were involved with a campaign to basically stop uh, cliff logging and wood chipping of uh, biodiverse native forest on public land from between around 1995 to 2002 and uh we won we actually shut the entire wood chipping industry native forest logging industry down and uh now that whole area is a national park uh and we've basically yeah achieved quite a amazing environmental outcome and also here we've got andy payne Hi. What are your involvement in environmental campaigns, Andy? Over the years, I've also been involved in some uh, grassroots blockading, and never that's never been my. I've never been a full-time uh, blockader, but I've I've been involved in in different campaigns on the south coast of New South Wales and uh, in western New South Wales, in uh, Leds Forest most recently. So I have some experience in grassroots environmental direct action. Okay. Well. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking to Miranda Gibson, 
and Miranda had a very interesting tori story to tell which we'd like to explore in more detail. And for those of you who, who may not be aware, um, Miranda was part of a, um, a group that's called um, Still Wild, Still Threatened and um, they were identifying um, some problems that were with um, forestry agreements between the Tasmanian government and um, the loggers. Um, and I'd just like to read out um, a press release that um, uh, Miranda made on the 1st of May in 2013 this year where she said, in response to the forest bill passed by the House of Assembly yesterday, the Huon Valley Environmental Centre. Now, Huon Valley, where's that, Simon? Oh, it's, a, uh, it's south of Hobart. Okay. The Huon Valley Environmental Centre and Still Wild, Still Threaten have vowed to continue to campaign for Tasmania's forests. The legislation entrenches and props up the unviable native forest industry and ongoing logging of high conservation value forests while making the attainment of new reserves virtually impossible. Conservation outcomes have been undeniably sidelined. These groups and members of the Tasmanian Greens who have supported the bill have aligned themselves with the collapsing forestry industry at the expense of our forests. So it's out there and we're going to come back to that and have a discussion uh, really about Simon's experiences in the Otway Ranges, uh, which is in whereabouts, Simon? Oh, yeah, the, the Otways is the forests that grow along the Great Ashen Road in southwestern Victoria. So a lot of people actually don't know where the Otways is, but if you link it to the Great o Ocean Road, then they do know where it is. I think, Andy, you've brought along some music to play here at this time. Uh, we'll also play a song. Miranda Gibson, who was on the show two weeks ago and uh, put out this press release that Ian just read, is also in town at the moment and will be organising an event this Sunday, a letter-writing event to American eco-prisoners, political prisoners who have been arrested for doing environmental actions and in the US over the last 10 or 20 years has been what's often known as the Green Scare, which is a set of laws uh, put in specifically similar to the Red Scare, I guess, in anti-communist days, a set of laws uh, specifically to try and uh, persuade people not to do environmental direct action and there's been a lot of them end up with terrorist charges and do over 20 years jail time. One of which is Marie Mason, which is going to be the focus of Miranda's event, which is on this Sunday at Turnstile, which is 10 Laura Street in Highgate Hill. I think from 4pm there'll be uh, information about mostly about Marie Mason and uh, a letter writing event so people can write letters of support and solidarity. This is about another case. This song is by Tom Gable. Um... And it's about another case within the Green Scare, which is a case of agent provocateurs in American environmental politics. This song's called Anna is a Stool Pigeon. Like the same you 
Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ. Um, that was Tom Gable with Anna is a Stool Pigeon, which is about Eric McDavid, who is currently serving 20 years in prison in America for, I think, attempting to blow up a dam with the assistance of an agent provocateur, as the song says. Um, and just another reminder that this Sunday at Turnstile Community Hub, 10 Laura Street, Highgate Hill, there will be a letter-writing event for... Uh, American eco-prisoners, including Eric McDavid, but also Marie Mason. So come along to that. Simon, you were involved in saving the Otway Rangers at a grassroots level. Could you 
describe to the listeners what that involved? Well, it was originally involved doing no, non-violent direct action sort of protests in East Gippsland and uh, from around 93 to 95 it was uh, involved on what we called the frontier, you know, the wild East Gippsland areas where there's literally, uh, you know, no one lives, uh, you uh, are isolated and there's just magnificent old growth forests through that area that have been uh, cliff hill logged. Having sort of worked there for, you know, a few years and uh, sort of learnt a lot about how to do uh, non-violent direct action, you know, basically tree sits, obstructing logging through using tripods and um, and doing a lot of actions where we just did it for the sake of it. We didn't even get any publicity, but we, you know, just wanted to stop logging because we passionately wanted to protect the areas. I sort of realised that, you know, it was all, it was a very difficult campaign in East Gippsland because of its isolation and uh, we had the same issue of clear fell logging and wood chipping going on in the Otway region uh, along the Great Ocean Road, which is a popular, well-known forest. Uh, although it wasn't technically old-growth forest because the area had a history of, of selective logging, uh, it was still biodiverse native forest, so that's why I always introduce the Otways as an area of biodiverse native forest. And that... Uh, I suppose it was the logic that if you couldn't stop logging in a place like the Otways, you couldn't stop it anywhere because it, it, it had such a well-known high public profile already. And there'd been a lot of work before us uh, to try to stop the introduction of wood chipping and clear fell logging. Now, wood, wood chipping and clear fell logging has never really been introduced into uh, Queensland uh, in native forests here, but it, it's a basically, the to, just to describe the practice, is a practice of knocking down all the trees. It's, it's similar to land clearing where everything is removed. About 20% of the trees cut down uh, used for saw logs and about 80% of it uh, graded as waste wood and wood chipped. And so the impact on the landscape is devastating and uh, we were very keen to try to uh, basically highlight the fact it was happening in the Otways and uh, we, we rapidly grew a very broad-based grassroots network of small community groups uh, in Geelong, Warrnambool, and uh, our campaign there did also involve a lot of direct action where uh, I think over about six or seven years there was a 40 uh, forest blockades. We also targeted manufacturer of name. We ran a campaign called Refuse to Use Clinics, the fact that that brand sourced wood chips from the Otways to make these tissue paper products and we were advocating alternative paper products or tissue paper products made of 100% post-consumer waste. That campaign was successful uh, and we got the company to uh, withdraw from the Otways after two years of campaigning. Uh, they continued to use native forest but they just wouldn't take it from the Otways and uh, so that was a great win. We also uh, well, I suppose a milestone win was because even though we stopped the company using native forest, we weren't actually stopping the logging because the uh, wood chip licence they had was sold on to an export wood chipping facility called Midways and those logs were then exported to Japan. Uh, well, the, the wood chips were exported. During our campaign, we also, you know, a lot of people were arrested, but we often challenged the legality of the logging in the courts, and on a number of occasions, we actually proved that logging was unlawful, and that was very embarrassing for the government and the uh, forestry department, the fact that they uh, were illegally logging forests, particularly near rainforest areas, 
And uh, those sort of wins really gave us a lot of credibility in the broad community that, you know, we weren't just radical ferals. We were basically showing that there were serious problems with the way public land was managed. To make a comparison um, with Queensland, you know, people, our listeners uh, reside in this state, uh, you mentioned the clear felling. Um, a former Premier of Queensland pioneered uh, a very brutal way of clear felling uh, Wallum scrub here in Queensland in that he would get two big D9 bulldozers, he'd put between them this giant chain with huge balls on it and he'd just drive through the forest knocking down the, the native Wallum. And there was a, a very uh, strong uh, anti-logging campaign here in Queensland on Fraser Island. It was extremely emotional. There was a lot of things happened there. And finally, there was the use of foreign affairs powers to both stop, on my understanding of it, sand mining on Fraser Island, and I think also to try to prevent um, the logging. I'm not sure about that second point, but I definitely they used the foreign affairs powers to stop. Now, in Victoria, what were the political forces at play in your campaign? Who were, who were your friends and who were your enemies? Oh, well, you know, we didn't actually want to be anyone's enemy, but um, we, we just wanted to expose the fact that the logging was happening. And um, to do that, we needed to build uh, support through the broad community. And uh, in some respects, we had strong support along the Great Ocean Road, you know, the communities like Apollo Bay and Lawn. Where the sawmills were at Colac, obviously there's a more resistance to what we wanted. In Geelong, there was a lot of support because most people in Geelong uh, were, you know, keen to go down and to the beach down the Otways and had their holidays down there. So did a lot of people from Melbourne. One of the, th the key things we did to get strong support from Geelong was we focused on the impact of logging on domestic water supply catchments because most of Geelong's water was from the Otways and we were able to uh, engage in a debate about how logging reduced water supply and, and threatened or undermined the, uh, I suppose, the water quantity or security for Geelong. And as part of that process, we got the Greater Geelong City Council, Surf Coast Shire, and later on uh, Warrnambool City Council to support resolutions calling on the state government to ban logging in at least the water catchment areas. And so that, that again, gave us a lot of credibility in the, in, in the broader community uh, for our campaign. So, just to rephrase my question, um, you would have counted the Greens as being supporters? Oh yeah, D during the campaign we we were in a non-politically aligned uh, grassroots environment group, so we had uh, people from the Democrats involved, the Greens party involved, and a lot of Labor Party MPs, and a group called the Otway Rangers ALP Information Group, I don't think I got that name right, but there was actually an affiliate group from the Labor Party that was advocating for a logging ban in the Otways. So it was very much a bipartisan approach. And ultimately, even after the government decided to end the logging in 2002, the Liberal Party, uh, the Victorian Liberal Party at the time of the policy announcement supported logging, but in 2005, they acknowledged that the government had a mandate and supported the legislation to ban logging in 2005. So that was basically 
I suppose our approach was bipartisan support and that we weren't aligned to anyone and we really wanted, you know, the, it to be won as a, a community campaign. So you're saying there that um, the Steve Brax government, the Labor government, wanted to ban logging in the Otways? Yeah, well, basically, well, the first, at first the Brax government had to be persuaded <laughs> and uh, that took a fair amount of persuasion. But um, How? Well, through the direct action and conflict and, and, uh, and the, uh, the water campaign, getting the councils on side. Uh, the direct action was critical in the campaign because... It was a mechanism to thwart the logging, particularly in what we deemed contentious areas. And uh, even though there had been government processes, such as the Regional Forest Agreement process, to try to work out where logging could uh, could not occur, uh, the Forestry Department, uh, which managed where logging could occur, just basically would you know send the logging crews into areas that we deemed significant for the environmental values and we would obstruct them to try to actually uh, protect these areas and we were successful. Uh, I think on at least eight occasions uh, the logging contractors were forced to have to relocate to other areas and log other forests because of the protesters and those areas that, that the protesters uh, defended are still standing today and are now in the National Park. So that was under a forestry agreement that they had the right to go into those coops, is that right? That's right, yeah. The, the forest agreement which we participated in um, was signed by Premier Back Brax in March 2000, which was an agreement between the state and federal government to allow wood, wood chip exports out of the Otways until the year 2020. Can you tell me the actual circumstances, the actual story of how Brax tore up that agreement? Well, because at the end of the day, the issue had become so popular and also because direct action made it virtually impossible for the government to log areas, <coughs> they didn't, excuse me, um, <coughs> it was almost impossible to log areas uh, in the Otways, something had to happen and so the government uh, basically realised it was good policy and uh, announced during the 2002 uh, November state election that if they were re-elected as a government they would ban logging when the log the licenses expired in 2008 and create a Great Otway National Park. So in the 2002 election in the lead up to it there were such a popular force that the government recognised the 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 positive nature of the policy that people were seeking that is to tear up the forestry agreement now, in the campaign itself, in the election campaign, who went with the tearing up of the forestry agreement and who went against it? Yeah, well, that was the interesting thing about the campaign is that um, <coughs> as we came into the 2002 state election, uh, the uh, obviously other campaigns were happening in Victoria and Eastern Victoria and there had been a big push at a, uh, by grassroots activists at a place called Goolungook to get that area protected and uh, the government announced a moratorium on logging a Goolungook uh, about a month or so bef before they announced our policy and said that this area is important and it needs to be protected. So to some extent the, the, the protests and the grassroots campaign of Goolungook had succeeded in getting the Goolungook area in East Gippsland on the policy agenda of the government but the groups like the Wilderness Society which generally focus on 
big issues, you know, they, they, they go for, um, you know, broad global type solutions. They were, they were campaigning for a, a pretty much a, a, a wide, large outcome, which was a ban on logging right across the state. And they began to see the Otways campaign as a threat to them because we'd made it very popular for the Otways and they saw that as potentially undermining their goal to try to get a broader statewide outcome for areas that had less, I suppose, public profile. So when the policy was announced by the government uh, for the Otways, the Wilderness Society uh, didn't really support it. They were arguing that it wasn't a big win, it was a small win, even though it was all the Otways, and it was an out, you know, as a geographic region, it was to shut the whole in industry down in a whole area. Uh, their view was that they wanted a bigger outcome for uh, the state and hence wouldn't support it uh, during that election campaign, and, and so we actually came into conflict with them. Two weeks ago, sitting <coughs> where you are now, Miranda Gibson. Uh, who was involved in the stopping of the logging of the Florentine in Tasmania, said the following things. I'd like to get your comment on them. The uh, Wilderness Society, the Australian Conservation Foundation and Environment Tasmania are actively promoting Tasmanian forest products, including wood sourced from destroying World Heritage Value forests. Now, she said that um, in Sarawak in Malaysia, uh, these... Um, the, the forest products that they're promoting, they're destroying indigenous forests, taking away the land from indigenous people uh, and actively destroying their way of life. So is there a parallel there with the Otways? That well, it's interesting because in the Otways, the Wilderness Society accused us of only a small outcome and wanting a big outcome for the rest of Victoria. But in the Tasmanian case, they've agreed to... A, a sort of a, a, a compromise where the grassroots groups are actually arguing they want a much bigger and stronger outcome. So it's almost like a reverse, a reversal in their policy position or, or what they seek. And I suppose to a large extent, I think the, the discrepancy can be described by the fact that the Wilderness Society is an institutionalised environment group. Now, a lot of people associate the Wilderness Society with campaigns like the, you know, the Franklin Dam, um, and uh, many other campaigns that they've been involved in. But there's uh, been a tendency, I suppose, for community groups to become formalised as they become big and, and bureaucratised. And in that process, uh, they, they can develop a presumption of authority that, that they speak on behalf of all the other environment groups. And then, of course, then if that happens, then whoever's there at the time sort of calls the shots about what they think the agenda should be. And so in, in, in the case of the Otways, the agenda was um, this statewide outcome. Um, and even though we got a total logging ban for the Otways, it wasn't good enough. But in Tasmania, you've got the situation where I think the Wilderness Society, you know, went into, the, into it in the, around 2010 with the goal of getting a total logging ban for Tasmania, but have compromised as they've negotiated over the three years to get this the outcome they have now. And that, that's come into conflict with um, grassroots groups on is the ground doing direct action in, in, in Tasmania. 
It's uh, 12.30, this is the paradigm shift, and I, I don't know, we'll ask um, Andy if he wants to have any comments in a minute, but I'd just like to make a historical parallel there to what you're saying. Um, 35 years ago or so, um, a grassroots organisation, Friends of the Earth, that a former Premier of Queensland used to call Friends of the Dirt, he said about, um, they said about trying to stop um, uranium mining here in Queensland and the export of it. They also ran some very strong campaigns against um, sand mining in um, uh, both Fraser Island and also Stradbroke Island, together with other groups, like there was a, a very strong um, grassroots campaign on Stradbroke Island itself. Um, and at the time, the... Um, the, the Bjelke-Peterson government was seeking to shut down all of those groups and interestingly um, it was very hard to get the Queensland Conservation Foundation to support the active direct action kind of stuff that went on in those campaigns. Now is that what you're saying here? You're saying that the government plays off one against the other or are you saying that the Wilderness Society and the Australian Conservation pa Foundation they always had a core problem with their attitude towards the environment? Well I think the environment movement uh, in Australia and globally uh, can be described as a sort of a, a dichotomy of between grassroots I suppose approach to doing you know activism work and a more institutionalised or formalised way of doing it and these two forms of uh, organisation uh, can come into conflict with each other. Um, grassroots groups tend to be you know, more decentralised, they uh, lack cash capital resources but they can be very social capital rich and that means that they can enact a lot of strategies that an institutionalised environment group can't do. Uh, institutionalised environment groups tend to be more cash capital focused and hence uh, focus on strategies that are generally you, you need cash capital to enact, like you know, lobbying, writing reports, and uh, you know, going to meetings <laughs> all the time. Grassroots groups tend to be able to you know, have the potential to do things like direct action, which you, know, you don't buy direct action. They're done, these sort of things happen by volunteers. You well, know, the, the grassroots groups are... Bjorki Peterson used to always call us a renter crowd. <laughs> well, yeah, that's right. Well, we wish, <laughs> you know. But, yeah, no, no. A lot of the strategies that grassroots groups do can only really be done by grassroots groups because, you know, they're volunteers and uh, the, uh, you know, forest blockading, even getting a lot of people to a rally or, or you know, doing sort of the confrontational type of strategies, particularly belligerent, maybe even illegal strategies that challenge unjust and corrupt laws, basically are done by grassroots groups. And the, the institutionalised groups tend to shy away from uh, confrontational, illegal, belligerent sort of action because they're worried about its effect on the bottom line because they've got a, a fixed cost associated with their office, their staff... And uh, so they they gravitate towards um, you know strategies that aren't going to get them into trouble. But there are exceptions, though. Like Green Greenpeace, for example. You know, there's 30 activists in rotting in a prison 
in Russia at the moment um, because they they are one highly uh, top-down institutionalising group that does engage in direct action. And there's also a lot of grassroots groups that don't, you know, engage in confrontational protests. So I suppose I'm, I'm only talking in generalities, but at the end of the day, there's a, a great spectrum and diversity of environment groups. And, uh, yeah, the, because there, there's trends between institutionalised and grassroots, there, there can be conflicts between them. Okay, there's a, there's a tension you're describing there between the activists and the more um, mainstream groups. Now, in that uh, mix, in the 2002 election, where did the Greens fall? Well, it's interesting because it, the Greens, I suppose, you would, I would classify them as another institution, uh, institutionalised type of approach because, you know, they're playing party politics, that they're trying to be part of government and they're trying to uh, influence policy through, you know, the formal mechanisms of, you know, the, the legislature and all that sort of stuff. And so playing, you know, it's it's fairly universally accepted that, you know, once uh, political parties get into parliament, you know, they have to formalise and become structured and more top-down, hierarchical and bureaucratic in in their, in their uh, I suppose, organisation. Some people call that professional or be becoming professionalised, although I would argue there's a lot of fantastic grassroots activists like Miranda, who was here the other day, who are professional. So the word professional is a bit loaded as, as a term to describe things. And I also um, can challenge the concept that they're mainstream, large or big, because that, that, again, depends on your perspective about, you know, are they big from the point of view of um, being successful or effective in social change? Well, um, just to round off that point, and then maybe we might go to a song. Um, when when uh, Miranda Gibson came down from, we mentioned this before the show, that when she came down from the tree that she'd been perched up in there for 14 months, um, there was a media scrum at the bottom of the tree. There were some old logs that had been been logged before she went up the tree and uh, the person who emerged from the media scrum was Bob Brown and um, uh, you know he that was a, a something that was went Australia wide and probably went overseas as well that interview um, and he you know of course warmly shook her hand gave her a hug and congratulated her now that's part of the professionalism of the media sort of you, you you appear in the in the right place at the right time oh yeah bob brown is a uh, famous and well-known activist and uh, has done a lot of amazing you know grassroots type protests um but you, know, you asked me before about our relationship with the the greens political party the Altways. well in that case we came into conflict with bob brown and the greens political party uh because for the Greens, when, when the policy was announced to end logging in the Otways, uh, it was because we'd done all the work on making it popular and the Labor Party had announced the policy, a lot of people in the Greens actually uh, didn't like it because they, they felt that the policy was going to take their thunder, you know, take encourage people not to vote for the Greens but vote for, from their point of view, for a rival party. 
And so we, we ran into this situation where there was a whole gang of these candidates and strong green supporters who, rather than look at the announcement to end logging in the Otways as a positive, saw it as a negative, and publicly then attempted to belittle the significance of the policy. How could it be a negative? Well, from their point of view, votes were more important than the outcome. They wanted uh, people to vote for them, and so they were sort of characterising the policy, oh, you know, the Otways, it's only a small outcome, it's only 3% of logging in Victoria, it's going to take too long to end logging, Um, it's, uh, it's a green facade for the Labor Party, and all this sort of negative... Uh, putting it down sort of language in the media and of course that came into conflict with us because we wanted that policy into government and uh, and uh, we were keen to make sure that that happened because the, at the time the Liberal Party was quite clear that if they were elected um, they would continue logging the Otways uh, indefinitely. Okay. What have you got for us here, Andy? Um, before we go to a song, I think... I think it is notable to say about the Greens that while a group like the Australian Conservation Foundation uh, intentionally positions itself against people doing direct action and says, oh, we're not like that, we do lobbying and we, we work through the system, that that's part of their policy, that um, the Greens actually have always supported uh, direct action and in a way stuck their neck out in a, uh, in a... They're a very public group who could you know, swing to kind of the centre and not try to uh, offend too many people, but they have traditionally supported people doing direct action, most notably at the start of this year when Jonathan Moylan, uh, who is at the Laird State Forest in a blockade camp trying to stop a coal mine expansion there, when he did uh, the hoax ANZ press release, which got a lot of media, it was the Greens, Christine Milne, standing up in Parliament defending um, Jonathan Moylan. and, And they have, yeah, traditionally stood up for people doing direct action which is in some ways you could see that as opportunistic that they're sort of piggybacking on the the work of these grassroots groups and just sort of like you say being there for the tv cameras but also in a way they're kind of sticking their neck out in support yeah it's right it's a sort of a it's an interesting situation because you've got where do you draw the line between their involvement as an opportunistic grandstanding to promote their brand name the greens or where is it they're supporting uh the cause and i suppose with the otways campaign it was an example where they uh from our point of view uh it it really came across as um votes were more important than the outcome but in other cases yeah there'll be different situations it's certainly uh speaking about tasmania as well and the the forest agreement there that part of that as well was part of the agreement was that if groups continued to um, do direct action then the the agreement was under threat which was a a clear kind of attempt to divide the grassroots direct action from the environmental groups that the mainstream wilderness society and ACF that wanted uh, a forest agreement and that was a clear attempt I guess to divide um, the the two groups there, and and uh, in the end, the Wilderness Society were threatening the still wild, still threatened, and saying, you know, if you're out there blockading, you're you're too selfish. You know, you don't want like this agreement. You just want to your own little thing. It's very interesting that, in some ways, it seems 
like you said, it seems to be the opposite, your experiences in the Otways too. Yeah, and, and additionally, the Greens uh, at a state level and a federal level was split because on one level you had Bob Brown and Christine Milne slamming the agreement, but Nick McKim, the, the state leader of the Greens in Tasmania, and his side was supporting it, although uh, Kim Booth uh, was one of the state Greens who didn't support it. So you, even within the Greens ranks, you get this sort of... Uh, division about direction and I, that's one of the interesting things about I suppose the environment movement generally is that we might all agree that um, there's problems you know with the earth and uh, the earth's under assault from industrial society but we don't generally agree on how to go about fixing the problem <laughs> so um, and, and to some extent that, that's that's a function of the diversity of the environment movement and in some respects I think we should rather than try to solve that problem, maybe just accept it. Accept the diversity and not try to be telling people what's right and wrong. But we certainly do need to have a conversation about that diversity. That's right. Well, let's go to a song. from. This is Sydney's environmental folk band, The Lurkers, with Couldn't Be Better. Brother says it's nice having Jesus by his side Papa Joe and an old Mother Mary With all this rain, devastating climate change I hear they flooded down in Mississippi My brother, he believes in the rapture of the Lord He said, these disasters are a sign I'm not a believer and I don't think you are either Cause God fucked up intelligent design Oh well it couldn't be better and it couldn't be worse Knocking on, knocking on, knocking on, knocking on a coffin in a climate change house And I wish they'd check my pulse for Couldn't be better or worse, oh no, it couldn't be better or worse Sister says it's fine, just go shopping all the time Someone else must be taking care of business She says we need a price first To stop me reaching in my post Such a low rate of carbon entry My sister, she believes in the market forces She says it's an investment opportunity I'm not a believer and I don't think you are either What's the carbon price of humanity? Oh, well, it couldn't be better and it couldn't be worse Knocking on a coffin in a climate change house And we were nailed in by the nationals and family folks Couldn't be better or worse, oh no, we couldn't be better or worse Daddy's full of doubt, he says the science has no clout If you argue with him, he won't listen to ya My mum, she says it's hotter But the climate, that won't stop her from buying a new air conditioner My grandma, she believes in the words of Nostradamus She says, the end of the world has begun I'm not a believer and I don't think you are either Can't believe a word she says when she hits the rum Oh, well, it couldn't be better and it couldn't be worse Knock 
working on a coffin in the climate change hustle now the carbon tax is rising but the whole planet's cursed couldn't be better worse oh no it couldn't be better worse one more time but it couldn't be better and it couldn't be worse yelling and screaming as we're buried in dirt now the preacher said his final verse couldn't be better worse oh no it couldn't be better worse You are on the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ. It is quarter to one. We're here with Simon, who is speaking about the Otway's Rages and the history of blockading there. And we've been most recently been talking about the environment and the involvement of big NGOs along with grassroots groups. We've been talking about different historical periods, really. Uh, and uh, just in the break, while the song was going there, I, I mentioned a sort of ancient history of environmental campaigning and that is you know from the 70s 80s and 90s and i think the um the period that you've been talking about is really from the end of the Whitla- of the uh the keating government federally up to the the um really quite a big victory by the brax government in 2002 where he just completely wiped the uh the liberal party um now could we now like address the questions of where to from here? You know. Yes, that's an interesting. I got very interested in researching campaigns. You know, why do some of them succeed and other ones fail? And we don't talk much about the failures, but we can learn a lot from.